The Athletic. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and welcome to the award-winning Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. And yes, we are absolutely going to flog that horse into the next life. On the show today, did you notice a new update arrive recently? What does it do to your game? To complicate one, so we've got Andrew Sinclair from Sports Interactive in to explain it all. We're also speaking to the Khaleesi of Football Manager, reigning FM showdown champ Holly Percival, as she slips deeper down the rabbit hole. As a newcomer to the game, she's got a very different perspective on where you should be spending your time when you're struggling. Plus, we've got another live score legend of the game and a brand new feature. So let's get started. Andrew Sinclair, welcome back to the show. I'm very delighted to be back. I'm quite surprised that a podcast I've been on multiple times is award winning, but congratulations to you and producer Steve. It's mostly producer Steve, let's be honest. Um, but but yeah, that, that is the power we flex right now. It's lovely to hear you sounding much, much healthier. You, uh, you sound like you're on death's door last time. That's more or less how I felt as well. It wasn't the dreaded C word, but yeah, just had a really bad chest infection and then lost my voice about two days after I was on the show last time for about a week. And then when it came back, I sounded like the long lost love child of Sean Dyche, which... <laughs> As I have a massive man crush on him, was a highlight, but I feel that husk is now gone. So, yes, I'm fighting fit now. That is excellent. Me and Steve were putting together clips for an entry in another award show recently, and it was alarming how many shows have been done where someone is clearly suffering from COVID or something like COVID, and you've got croaky voices all over the place. Very, very strange two years, but that's that's one of the reasons why Football Manager has been um, such a, a welcome addition or a welcome return into into people's lives. And this is the final update, I believe. Yes, unless anything catastrophically goes wrong, this is the sort of final update of FM22. And it's sort of the same as the final update in other years. It's sort of 22.4, as this one is called, is like a tidying up operation. It's fixing a few outstanding issues, some more crash and stability fixes, and then the last few transfers. But obviously, the geopolitical situation over in Ukraine obviously meant that this one was a little bit more involved than it would normally be. Yeah, and this this is the interesting thing uh, about this update from a technical point of view. As most updates, there will be a few match engine changes that you'll get in your saved game and a few data changes that you'll only get in a new game. This one makes quite sweeping changes because of the awfulness of Russia's war on Ukraine. Talk me through what's what's happened. So... I think as a starting point, we felt as a studio that it was right that we did something. But there's always a difficult line for us because we want to be the most accurate and authentic simulation of real life as possible. But we also are aware that Football Manager is a a tremendous form of escapism for, for millions of people. And with the atrocities going on, how much of that Do you want to actually reflect in the game when there may be people playing it to get away from that? So there was some deliberation over what we were going to do. meant that the update came up slightly later than originally planned. But in the end, we've tried to make changes that reflect what's happened in real life, bar one. 
the one thing that we haven't done that has been done in real life is to do with the Ukrainian League. So at the moment, the Ukrainian League, understandably, has been suspended. In-game, you can still play as Ukrainian teams and the season will run as normal. But in terms of changes, we've tried to reflect what's happened. So the Russian teams were removed from the European competitions. They're not eligible to qualify for European competitions. And obviously the national team were taken out of the World Cup qualification. So that will all be reflected in your saves. If you've got an existing save, you won't notice too much different. You'll just see that Russian and Belarusian clubs will only arrange friendlies within their own country. So they'll only play you know, other Russian teams. They won't travel abroad to play your team if you're managing in England or France or whatever. And if they're still in continental tournaments in your save, those games will be played at neutral venues. If you start a new save, you'll see that Russian clubs can no longer qualify for Europe and you'll see that the Russian national team has no game scheduled. But to do all of that obviously requires a lot of under-the-hood changes as well. So if, for example, you were going to manage Zenit St. Petersburg, the club vision couldn't say qualify for the Champions League because obviously the rules of the game would say you're not allowed to do that anymore. So you've got to change the club vision so that it reflects the reality that they're not able to qualify anymore. So things like that and change in sort of transfer logic as well, where Russian players wouldn't move to the Ukrainian league, Ukrainian players wouldn't move to the Russian league, that sort of stuff. So there was an awful lot of technical dev work going on to ensure that what we ended up with was a reflection of the real life changes but didn't go any further than that. And of course, one of the the real life changes is the the sanctions that have forced Roman Abramovich to put Chelsea up for sale. And there's been some very significant changes to the managing Chelsea experience on FM22. Yes, so we've tried to reflect the sanctions that Chelsea are facing as much as is possible within the game. Obviously, there are some things that they're limited in regards to that we can't reflect. So, you know paying for team buses or whatever that sort of thing wouldn't necessarily come into it but we've tried to reflect the sanctions as much as we can um but the main thing you'll notice if you start a new save with Chelsea is that because he has already put the club up for sale it means that when you start yes Chelsea will face sanctions but a sale of the club will be triggered in your first season. It may go in the second, but almost all of the time it's been in the first season and in the first half of the first season. And once a new owner is in place, the sanctions will be removed, as will be the case in real life when you know the preferred bidder is, is determined later this month. So in some respects, it won't be too different from just starting the game as normal, but with the transfer, the first transfer window switched off, which is how I always start. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to be in a, a difficult financial position and you won't be able to renew contracts or anything. But as I say, if, if the, the sale goes through in, say, October, you would still have enough time to ensure that your players who are going to be out of contract at the end of the season are able to stay around if you want them to, of course. If you think they're a bit naff and you want them to go, then obviously you wouldn't renew it. But if you want them to stay, you would have time to do it and you're not going to be preyed upon by other clubs with pre-contract agreements and stuff like that. Any other changes? Usually there's a a host of match engine changes, but anything on that front? No, no changes to the match engine this time. The match team are very sort of happy with where the the match engine is at the moment. I know people always seem to think there have been, 
when the update comes out, you play a game, you're like, oh, they've changed it. Oh, they've changed it. It's like, no, we haven't. It's just maybe something isn't working as it did before, or maybe the AI have sussed out your tactics and it's not working as much. But there have been some competition tweaks. So in the past, countries that sit out the typical winter European season, you know, like Norway, for example, or Iceland, they run their season from April to November, which would sit outside the traditional window of, say, you know, the big European leagues. Obviously, their promotion and relegation would have happened while FM22 is out. So those nations have seen the promotion relegation updates in 22.4. So if you were to start a save in, in one of those countries that, that's part of that, you would see that the lineup for, say, the Premier Division in that country is as it is for the 2022 season, rather than just staying as the 2021 lineup for the whole existence of, of the, the addition of the game. A couple of other tweaks as well. I know there were some issues with AI loan offers. So when they'd make an offer for your players, they generally offer zero wages and zero fees. They've been some tweaks to that so that you're going to get less of those. There will still be clubs who offer you nothing, but you're not going to see those as often. They will they will offer to make some kind of contribution for the most part now. So with this final update done, what does that mean internally at Sports Interactive? Is it all hands to the pump for FM23 now? I was going to say party time. <laughs> but I think it sort of depends really what team you're in. You know, there'll, there'll have been people, you know, in the design team who basically once FM22 was out of the door, their focus immediately switches to the future and then the next batch of features. I think our internal deadline for logging new features for the next edition was at the end of last year because that process takes so long and begins so far in advance. So... Some of them have already switched their focus to the next edition and new features and what they're going to look like and how they're going to work. Obviously, as part of the comms team, our focus is now sort of we've got sales coming up. We've recently, the game is free to play for, for the last weekend. So it's focusing on promotions like that, campaign activity and that kind of thing. And then looking ahead in a few months time to the next edition, the new features, how we want to sell the game to people, essentially. So it's different things for different departments in the studio, which I know is a really fluffy answer. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Andrew Sinclair, Sports Interactive, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, chaps. Thank you for having me on again. It's more than a score with Live Score, Legends of the Game. So, what's all this about then? Well, with LiveScore, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get the latest action stats and analysis from around the world. Because we know with football, it goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands. Players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. Because we've been doing it for so many years, we've made a few memories. Welcome, then, to Legends of the Game. It's one of the greats this week. It's Kennedy Bakachoglu, the Swedish attacking midfielder who just got better and better and better. You could snatch him away from Hamabi on CMO 102 for ooh, about two million quid. You'd never regret it. Which was odd, really, because while his stats were good, they weren't amazing. He was mostly 14s and 15s with high technique and a bit of flair. And the first time you signed him, you probably just bought him for a bit of backup because he was just so versatile. He could play off either wing or in the centre of midfield or even as a striker. Right wingers seemed to suit him best, though. 
He was one of those players who just never had a bad game. He'd always rack up a high enough pass completion that he'd be at least a seven, more often than not an eight or a nine. And there was something very joyous about that because of his low profile in both the game world and the real world, he, he was the archetypal hidden gem. And so it proved in real life. He actually had a trial for Manchester UFC, but failed to sufficiently impress. He left Hamabi for Heraklis in Greece and then spent some time with FC Twente in the Netherlands for a 15-goal haul in the 06-07 season, one of them moved to Ajax. Sadly, he was a bit part player there and though he enjoyed a good spell in Spain with Racing Santander, he would end his career back at Hamabi, helping to secure promotion back to the top flight in 2014. Bakachoglu actually played the game himself, said that he signed himself for Manchester UFC psychologist would have a field day with that. He's retired now and to be honest I did struggle to find out what he's up to. His Instagram page shows a man who seems to be enjoying a very happy family life, possibly does some youth coaching and I think he might have bought a horse and dressed it in Hermarby colours. Make of that what you will. That was It's More Than a Score with Live Score Legends of the Game. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the Live Score app. And it's completely free. Just search for it on the App Store or Google Play now. Every week I tell you about The Athletic and how very good the football journalism is. And that's all still true. But sometimes we overlook things. Like the fact that you can listen to your favourite podcast, like the Totally Football Show, without any adverts. Or that you can listen to exclusive content like David Ornstein's Monday Transfer Pod. Or all of the incredible coverage of sports like the NFL, where my brave New York Jets are slowly building up for yet another historic campaign. And how much is this? Well, if you've never subscribed before, it's a pound a month for six months. Or six quid, to put it another way. But that only happens if you visit theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. So do it today. It's theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. It's the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore, brought to you by The Athletic. And as you know, if you've been listening for a while, this show was set up not for people who are absolutely amazing at Football Manager, but for people who just want to enjoy it more and learn a little bit and get a little bit better. And for the first time, I think we're now able to bring expertise, not just from Sports Interactive, but from The Athletic itself, because someone's turned up who's actually really good at it. Holly Percival, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Oh, that's kind for you to say that I'm actually good at it because there are times this season with Hull where I don't quite feel that's the case, but things are slowly starting to turn around. So maybe things are on the up and up. This is exactly why you're here because I'm in a similar situation. I had a very good second season with Newcastle and it's just started to wobble now. It's not disastrously bad, but it's not good. And so I wanted to get you on to talk about when you're struggling, when when it's starting to turn against you, what you can do. Because I think we come at this from two very, very different places. I, I have played every version since the Angry Man on a Box appeared in 1992. You, I'm fairly sure, weren't even born in 1992 and only started playing in October. And you're already better than me. So I think we, we have different things to bring to the party. But first of all, remind us of your, your career path from taking that first job with Aston Villa and where you are now. Yeah, sure. So I started my first ever save as part of an article with Aston Villa 
and the purpose was to just write that and be like oh, this is why I learned about playing football manager and since then I've been fully engrossed in the game I got sacked in January of the first season I don't recommend using Aston Villa as your first team if you do a save because they have high expectations and it's difficult to keep up with them so then I moved to Hull got offered the job in February and took it managed to keep them up in the championship and then in the first full season in charge we got 102 points and won the championship and now we're into season three and in the Premier League the Premier League is very very difficult I forgot how difficult it was when I was with Aston Villa and and now it's it's quite the arduous task because we are the lowest in terms of paying wages and then the team that's then above us pays three times the amount so we kind of always knew that staying up would have been really really against the odds almost like Leicester's 5,000 to 1 but just to stay in the Premier League so it's quite a mood shift isn't it because you go from dominating to being dominated by I mean this Manchester United team there's nothing even my Newcastle can do to get really close to them how do you even cope at Hull? Yeah, it's been really tricky. I had a lot of people advise me to not really try to play attacking football because our team is very mismatched in terms of... We don't really have any big, big names. We have Juan Chan up top, signed Adam Holzek, and a lot of people have told me good things about him, but he hasn't really started to perform until kind of these last few games. So it's been really tricky, and I've kind of now started to take that advice on board when I kind of changed from my 4-2-3-1 formation that, that thrived in the championship to a 4-3-3 gag and press for the second half of this season and kind of changed a few things to be slightly more supportive or defensively structured. And that has kind of helped lower the, the goals we were conceding, and, and it's actually kind of helped us now obviously go on to win some games. I mean, there was a point where I thought, oh, I don't think we can avoid relegation here, but... We've won our last few games. Obviously, I'll, I'll hopefully get to write a piece and, and kind of round up the season. But the last few games have, have really turned it around. I think we only really beat teams that begin with the letter B as well, which is quite <laughs> freaky. But it's it's gone a lot better now. We've got six league games left. We're in the FA Cup semi-final, which we take Liverpool. And um, things might actually go our way. So let's let's break it down because you everyone's first period is trying to figure out what to do and how to get into a position where you're winning more than you're losing. That's stage one. Stage two is like the steady hand on the tiller, the slowly improving your team. And sometimes you can run in that mode for season after season after season. But usually what happens is you, you find a place where it all starts to wobble. So in those situations, I tend to... I drop the mentality back once. It might drop from positive to balanced. I might reduce a couple of the instructions, possibly slow the tempo down and just try and get them to play their way out of their funk. What have you done? Yeah, I've done a couple of those similar things. So I I had it on attacking mindset before because I wanted to try and still be aggressive, but ultimately it's the Premier League and that just isn't going to work for the whole City team that I have. So I dropped that from attacking to positive. I also realised that I'd made so many changes and so many adaptations to my 4-2-3-1 that everything had probably come a bit too disjointed within the system. So by starting a new formation of the 4-3-3 and tweaking it ever so slightly and then kind of also inputting the the formation and the instructions I had from my streamer showdown win, it kind of just reset what the team all the kind of confusing instructions that I'd given to the team. And that kind of did start to help. But then the thing that I've noticed most recently, or I think this has been the reason we've had so much success recently, is I'd be going through the games and I'd be saying to my stream, 
we can't pass or we can't shoot on this game. Why can't we do those things? So then I decided, why don't I just try and add in those, then those things into the training schedule, the things that haven't gone well in that game. So I've been trying to ad- adapt the training schedule based on what we don't do well in during that previous game. That's and for an some reason, that show. feels like that started to work because I hear really mixed re- reviews. As some people are like, I do every aspect of training every week. And other people are like, oh, I just leave it up to my coaches. And I was the, the latter, but I've started to t- tinker in some things that I don't see go well in, in our previous performance and I make sure I add that into the training schedule. And now we've won four, we won four of our last five uh, games and, and like I said, through to the FA Cup semi-final. So things things have started to go really well. So which modules worked best for you? Passing was definitely an issue for us. So I made sure I add in th- added in things like ball retention. Also added in things like attacking direct. Like I said, uh, Holzek and Huang He Chan hadn't really been overly convincing in the final third, whereas both are now kind of adding their names to the score sheet or to the uh, like tallying assists a lot more frequently. The other things that have kind of been really useful to add is, is kind of like playing from the back again, trying to keep possession and work the ball up. Ball distribution and ball retention have have kind of been the other key ones. So a lot of more technical and tactical things being added to my training which weren't really the case before one of the things i'll also do is just have like a full review of everything and just go through the training units i once found that i had an attacking midfielder who i had initially thought would be a defensive midfielder and had spent the entire season training for a defensive role when i was actually using him as a a box to box so just trying to pick off all the areas where you might have screwed up reassigning coaches sometimes you can hire a new coach and completely forget to actually reshuffle everything the formation we've already discussed as well maybe maybe some fresh legs in there cohesion is so important so i often try and get full match practice and some team bonding as well to you know put smiles on faces and then after that, there's a kind of there's so much you can do in the game, but there's there's also stuff you you have to do of yourself, don't you? You have to look after your own mindset as as a manager, and sometimes it's good just to take a break. Yeah, though you are right. Uh, however, I think I'm with how stressful this end of the season has been. I've been fully, fully invested. I feel like the admin side of the game has been something that I've been really kind of trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work and and kind of like I said kind of now adding in the training has been really good and really actually really fun in terms of trying to get to figure out what isn't working for my team and what is working so it's been a lot of admin the kind of playing of the game has slowed down a lot because I really want to obviously stay in the Premier League because I, I don't really know what I will do with my save if Hull get relegated so I can completely understand wanting to take a, a, a managerial rest. I definitely feel like I'll need one after this season because it's been <laughs> so hectic. But I'm still too, way too fully invested in, in fine-tuning every small detail of, of this save so that we can succeed. Are there, are there any bits of the game that you just you haven't found useful or you haven't really followed through as much as you have with training? Yeah, the, the one aspect of training that I find quite funny, and, and it happens in, in every stream, is I as long as there is enough days in the week before the next game, it's I will always do two days of rest where I'll go on the squad sheet and I'll just, you know, right-click training and and rest for two days. Ah, And I always have people yell at me and I'm like, no, add like recovery and like a post-match review into your schedule and do it that way. But I've never really found that that is overly beneficial compared to just resting the players for two days. Yeah. I mean, I've got exhausted players because we're generally playing three times a week. Yeah, I might have to start doing that as well. It's it's very dependent on on what your kind of like break is between each games, and 
I don't really feel like it's overly stopped injuries. Holzek's been out injured. Palencia's been out injured. We've had quite a few injuries. But again, I don't know if those are just like inevitable because we also had a really busy period over the kind of like January, February, March because of all the cup games and stuff. So I don't know if there's something that I should be doing better to combat that or that is just kind of the way the game goes. It's funny though, isn't it? After a while, you get into the mindset where you you drift into massive micromanagement and you start thinking, well, what would I do if I had you know, eight hours a day to play on this game, which, uh, you know, I often joke about it, but I actually do have to do some work here and there. But what what would you do with all of that time? How could you micromanage everything to get the biggest possible advantage out of it? Have you got like a sort of idea of what you'd do if it was literally your job? Yeah, I think I thought AJ's piece on like the best backroom staff piece was really interesting and I'd I'd definitely look into that more I feel like again during the summer of of this save if we stay in the Premier League I'll need to have a look again at my staff because I feel like that is important I feel like I would also do probably every press conference and every media aspect because I know that some people think that that's really important for kind of team morale and, and them knowing what you've told the media so I think that that would also be something that I'd probably look to micromanage even more the only other things like you said like individual training make sure those are constantly kind of updated every like month or so and then like I said I've only just started to really play with the training schedule more so I'd probably try and be even more vigorous with that because again they're all aspects of the game I really haven't tinkered with enough and I also feel like a lot of people are like constantly scouting throughout the whole season and, and looking for wonder kids and and players that are going to be out of contract at a certain time, ready to kind of snatch them up. And I definitely don't do enough of that. That's still the area of the game that I'm probably the most weak in. So I'd probably micromanage that area as well. Yeah, that is definitely my weak spot. I tend to only deal with recruitment in about November and then again around about March or April. I could definitely pick up on that. See, it's terrible. Hundreds and hundreds of hours, and I still don't think I'm I'm playing it enough. But to wrap up, if if you're going through a bad spell, what, what would be your number one bit of advice to someone? I think it would be to kind of try to make things as simple as possible with your formation and tactics. Don't try to overcomplicate things. And to kind of pair that, at the moment, I feel like I'm pairing that well with adding kind of the intensity in the training sessions and adding the kind of weaknesses into the training schedule. I think those two hand in hand are ultimately what might save Hull City this season because I don't think we'd have been getting such positive results if we hadn't kind of gone back to basics with both of those things. All right, that is excellent. That's Holly Percival. Holly, where can we watch you stream? I stream on Twitch three or four days a week. My schedule changes every time based on my job at The Athletic, but you can catch me on Twitch at Holly Plays, two eyes in Holly, two eyes in Plays. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's time for a brand new feature here on the Football Manager Show. It's time to pay a visit to Father Stephen and the FM Confessional. And don't pretend you've got nothing to confess. You've done something everyone has. Something that went too far. Something that makes you cringe. Something you don't really want to tell anyone about. But trust me, you'll feel better to let it out. So we want your confessions. You can request anonymity if you like. We'll respect that. But we want to know what haunts you. And perhaps, perhaps, 
will grant absolution in the form of three Hail Mary passes and a period of penance managing your under-23s. Father Stephen, will you hear my confession? Yes, my son. I once edited Mansfield Town out of the game and then replaced them with my hometown with a stadium named after myself. I edited myself in as their star striker. I also added the names of all of my friends, although none of them were allowed to be as good at football as me. Older friends were even included as scouts or coaches. Um, the, the whole thing took hours. Um, and the worst thing, Father Stephen... Yes, my son? I was 34. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't even... That's perfectly acceptable, I think, when you're 15, to add in your school. I was 34. I had loads of freelance work. I had a wife and a newborn baby. And, and when I did this, my wife asked if I was working... And I said yes, and so she took our baby out of the house to give me some peace. It's pretty bad, isn't it? It is a an egregious sin, young Ian. It is your responsibilities to your your wife and your your child and and your livelihood. The worst thing is, I never even finished the season. I I got bored after ten games and just never even did it again. But that was like eight to ten hours of actual time. Well, all of us who play FM are in our own ways sinners young Ian so what is good is that you atone as you are today I mean I'm not convinced I won't do it again to be honest the possibility of building an athletic team incorporation black and white shirts and then including everyone in the office is something that I've fought with quite a few times but but this has I think been a a useful and healthy process if for no other reason than you're the first person to call me young in about 15 years so you know thank you for that I do feel better most welcome my son And that's the general idea. That's the FM confessional. So we want to know the thing that you've done connected to Football Manager that makes you feel absolutely terrible. Get it off your chest. Get it into us. It's imacintosh at theathletic.com. Or you can find me on Twitter, Ian underscore games. So to be honest, there probably isn't the word count for this kind of thing. So write an email. Get it off your chest. Make it count. They're basically the same addresses for uh, getting our attention for letters as well. And I think we can seamlessly move over into that can't we producer steve we can my son sorry yes we can sorry just, once you're in the role <laughs> oh, there we go. once you're in the role it's you were there you were there you're living it um, we've got some letters these are these are letters that have been sort of stacking up because we've had so many they're really good ones they're really important ones and they're ones for which we have answers from sports interactive so producer steve who's first Donald Smith is first, and Donald writes to say, loving your FM podcast, so he has obviously paid the toll, and he may cross the river. He has a couple of questions. Number one, when hiring coaches, is it best to go for coaches who share your playing philosophies, for example, ticka-taka, etc., formation playing style, that sort of thing, or just go for great coaching stats? And as a follow-up question, can a coach who likes Route 1 football ruin your tiki-taka team is there one particular feature of a coach's preferences that has a major effect on your team apart from the obvious stat for the coaching you want him or her to do those are the questions what did si say ian they got back to us and they said the ability to coach is handled by the attributes so playing style and formation won't directly affect that but they will have an influence in the kind of advice and feedback received from them so a staff member who likes direct football might encourage you to train your centre-back to start switching play to the other flank when actually you prefer him to carry the ball out from the back. So it all depends whether you want your ideologies reaffirmed 
or challenged by the people around you. So a Route 1 coach basically won't single-handedly ruin your ticket-tacker team, but they might make you question whether or not it's the best approach. So, I mean, that, that basically comes down to one of the overarching bits of advice from this show. Decide what you want. Decide what you're trying to do and then do it. Who else is in the mailbag? Matty S says, hello. Hello, Matty. He recently got into the show through Ian's appearances on TIFO as Lord of the Games, of course. You can find those on the TIFO IRL and the TIFO YouTube videos on, obviously, YouTube. Matty is a long-time FM victim, and his biggest question is, do directors of football actually do anything? If I leave them to their own devices, they try to sign players or always fail in negotiating contracts. On a recent Roma save, my director of football, a very highly rated and expensive director of football, who Matty hired, he asked him some questions with regards to a right winger to buy. And he came back, this has also happened to me as well, so I share Matty's pain here. He was like, no one, there's no one. I've looked for right wingers, none of them exist that can improve the better right winger that you have at Roma. So Matty's question is, are they worth having or do I bin them off and save some money? What did SI say? SI said it was a little bit odd that you've had no recommendations from your director of football, but there could be a number of factors influencing that, including their world knowledge, what your scouts have already found, and the nations you've loaded up in your saved game. Club finances are likely to play a role in the lack of suggestions, so if there's only a small budget but you're a club with a big reputation, there aren't going to be many suitable players for a team of your stature in your current price range. Wage demands can be a real deal-breaker for the director of football. If you can't afford a player's wages, they just won't be suggested as a transfer target because there's no point, no real chance of success. There can be real merit in having a director of football to work with, and uh, SI point us to a guide in using them for recruitment that's on the byline. You should check out the byline. It's on footballmanager.com. Loads of really great articles. This one is called Using Your Staff Recruitment. So check that out. Uh, On The Athletic, AJ Rose has recently done a series of pieces on staff recruitment and the things that are, are meaningful as well. But only you can decide whether you think it's worthwhile for how you want to play the game. As the saying goes, if you want the job doing, say SI, you might as well do it yourself. And uh, and that's something I certainly do. I'm, I'm not a big fan of having a director of football, but I'm also a weirdo who likes to not delegate anything at all and, and hold all the power close. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, I think director of football definitely goes against, rails against the sort of proper football man, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The problem is you always just think of bringing someone in who's going to advise the chairman to sack you and give them the job, <laughs> a, la, a la Avram Grant at Portsmouth and, and indeed Chelsea, allegedly. Absolutely. Well, our next letter is from Gareth Catherwood, who says, Great podcast, guys. Well done, Gareth. Long time listener, first time caller slash writer. Loving the show and the Newcastle save and learn something new every week. I'm currently deep into my third season at Borussia Mönchengladbach and I have two midfielders, Kramer and Neuhaus, who don't link up very well as illustrated by the orange dotted lines. We hate seeing those. They're in set roles and positions that they excel in, but not when they play in a team together. So is there a way to improve or train this out of them? Because it's been like this for over a season. Or is it just down to personalities or something else? And Gareth says, I want to see green lines. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And speaking of someone who's getting that horrible broken orange line with my £50 million centre-back Demerol 
regardless of who he's combined with. I, I feel your pain. Sports Interactive say the lines you see in the lineup graphic are based on the average ratings when those players are playing together rather than the compatibility of the roles you've chosen. So if you're seeing a broken orange line, that indicates that they're both posting relatively low average ratings when deployed in that partnership. As it's based on in-match performance, it's not something training can fix. You, you can play through it and hope they'll eventually come out of their slump and hit top form together, which can easily happen if you've got some cup games against inferior opposition or some very winnable friendlies. Or you can split them up for a time, bring a fresh face into your midfield. You can then reintroduce one from the subs bench for a period when you're in charge so that over time those broken lines disappear and get replaced by beautiful green ones. That reminds me of... Uh, I think we've spoken about this on the show before when Harry Redknapp was convinced that Gareth Bale was an unlucky charm because I think 34 games had gone by and he hadn't been on the winning side once. So he'd keep him on the bench and wait until the latter stages of a game where they couldn't possibly screw it up and then bring him on, which is just absolutely magnificent. Producer Steve, do you get upset when you're not getting enough green lines or do you just take the results? I think the best example of not getting the green lines and getting the orange lines was in the Derby Challenge, to be honest, with Stearman and Curtis Davis just being orange. And it's just one of those where, like, well, of course, of course the only centre-backs I've got. Because in my head, and actually thanks to Sport Interactive for that and to Gareth for the question, because in my head it was like, okay, my only two centre-backs are not compatible with each other. What the hell do I do? But it's just a quick... It was more about, obviously, with that advice us just losing all of the games so it's good to know that yeah but in my in my Fiorentina save I've got lots of lovely green lines in between people which as Gareth says is very pleasing I still think that you know that bit in Star Wars where like Luke you switched off your targeting computer what's wrong (laughs) um I still think there are aspects of this game where you just ignore everything the game's telling you like Jules Vigel on my Newcastle Mm. team He's defensive midfielder, but because he's got such high passing and, and flair, he always starts the, the counter-attack and he never gets the little boost for it because he's too far down the process to get like the assist bonus or the goal bonus. But he's always like in a tiny little bit of space, he manages to play the perfect ball out and start a counter-attack. And if I left it down to the computer, if I, if I kept looking at, at what his numbers were, mm. I'd have sold him ages ago because he averages sort of 6.8, 6.9. But watching extended highlights of every game, I think I'm not saying I know better than a computer, but that's actually exactly <laughs> what I am saying. I do agree with you, actually, because in the three man midfield in particular, that point in front of the back two, there, uh, and actually in the midfield that I play with, as I say, with Fiorentina, I've got an advanced playmaker on the right-hand side as well. And they're basically the sort of the oil in the engine they talk about, you know, the sort of... So it's Lucas Torreira in front of the back two normally, and he'll just pick it up, give it to better players sort of thing. And as you say, that's often quite below seven, but you're watching the game, you're like, well, if that pass doesn't happen, then the whole thing falls down. And if someone like Bonaventura on the right-hand side in that advanced playmaker role isn't also helping to sort of technically keep the ball moving onto the players who get the assists or get the goals, it does all fall apart. So I, I agree, actually. The computer is wrong. The computer is wrong. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I've been feeling that a lot recently. And that was the award-winning Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. Your guests today were Andrew Sinclair from Sports Interactive and Holly Percival from The Athletic. Your producer was Steve Hankey, and I am Ian McIntosh of The Clan McIntosh. And there can be only one. The Athletic.